Well, we just read from our statement of faith the article concerning sanctification, and it reminds us that we are sanctified, that, that is, we are being made partakers of God's holiness through Christ's appointed means of grace, especially the Word of God. That this Bible that we have is a treasure, and it does good things. And we just read from our statement of faith from the article concerning Scripture, that it is the very Word of God, so it is true, and it is inerrant, that means there's no falsehood in it, that it's infallible, that means it will never lead you into a bad place, it will always lead you to a good place, and that it is sufficient, that you need no other word but the Word of God. And we noted that in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays to God for his disciples. We noted this last week. Jesus prays, sanctify them in truth for your word is truth. So we see those two things kind of sandwiched together uh, in, in sanctification and in the word of God. Our sermon text this morning, as I've said, is Psalm 119, and it is all about the scriptures. God's special revelation to his people. It is the longest of all the Psalms. So what type sermon might you expect this morning? Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's the longest of all the Psalms. And uh, in fact, it's the longest chapter in all of the Bible. At a 176 verses long, it is longer than some of the books in the Bible. It has a very unique structure. If, you, if you've opened your Bible and you're looking at the Psalm 119, you'll see this unique structure. The Psalm is structured as an acrostic following the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and this Psalm has 22 stanzas. They may look like paragraphs in your Bible. Some Bibles print each of the letters before each stanza. When I, when I look at my ESV Bible, it says Aleph, and then there's eight verses, and it says Bait. It looks like Beth, but it's bait. And it's uh, another eight verses, and then Gimel, and another eight verses. Some of our Bibles put those there. That's, that's not Scripture. That's just helpful on the part of the, of the producer of the Bible, the publisher. But each of, those, each of those stanzas is comprised of eight verses, and each of those stanzas begins with one of those Hebrew letters. It works its way through the alphabet. I remember, you know, if you go to some kind of some tourist shops here around Maine, you might buy a, a book for kids that is, uh, you know, it's the alphabet of Maine. So you've got, you know, A is for apple, and, uh, you know, B is for what? Well, in Maine it would be boat, right? What's L going to be for? Lobster. You know, so you can work your way through the alphabet. Of course, we have a song, don't we? We have an alphabet song. That's why they're in that order, because of the song, I think. So, each of these stanzas, there's 22 of them, begins with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. But also, each verse within each stanza begins with that same Hebrew letter. So that's quite a feat of poetry, isn't it? If your teacher gave you an assignment and said, you know, every word has to rhyme, you know, I want you to write a, a poem about the sky and every word has to rhyme with bing. You know, you're, you can't use any word you want, you have to fit this you have to fit this structure. As you can imagine, that the psalmist is constrained by this structure. He has to follow it uh, because he has set this up as this form of Hebraic poetry. So why do it that way? Well, sometimes an acrostic is, is a helpful memory device, isn't it? But usually for something shorter, although this could be the alphabet song of the Hebrews. I don't know. I don't know. It could be. Maybe the psalmist set out to show that the word of God is complete from A to Z, if you will. Here, here's, a, here's a poetic way of showing that. 
that the, the word of God is so complete, it spans from beginning to end of all the letters of all the words that we use. Maybe it was something like that. Regardless, every verse in every stanza is about the word of God. That's the poet's target, which has prompted many to say that 176 verses all about the Word of God and only about the Word of God is just too much repetition for too long for one thing. And if you've tried to read Psalm 119 this week in your daily devotional, you may have felt the same way. There's a way in which they, they kind of start blending together. Uh, it all sort of melds together. You, you get to, you know, I don't know, you get to around 13 or 14 and you say, I think I'm reading the same thing. But we need to think of this psalm differently than we do, especially many of the New Testament writings that we read. This psalm is not a series of golden links, each one dependent on the next like an argument so that together they eventually form a golden chain. Instead, they're like a string of pearls. Each pearl could stand alone, but together they have a beautiful effect, a repeated effect. Each one offers a slightly different perspective while at the same time their uniformity, they're all pearls, sharpen the overall effect of the psalm. Psalm 119 is a string of 22 pearls. Each one is rich in its beauty because of its eight verses, all proclaiming the beauty and the glory of God's word. That's what we're looking at. So we have to look at it a little differently. Psalm 119 is a wisdom psalm. We've talked about various categories of psalm. It's a wisdom psalm, like Psalm 1. You may remember a few months back when Joe Maneri preached Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. It's a wisdom psalm like Psalm 19 which Eric Gant preached just a few months ago, a few weeks ago. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they are than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter they are than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. That's a a great summary of Psalm 119 in Psalm 19. Many want to insist, they're kind of the diehards, that David wrote this psalm. Um, It was collected in the fifth book. So it's in the fifth book of Psalms. We've talked about that before. uh, Which would have been around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, during or after the exile. So many think it was written during the exile or after after Israel's return from the exile, that's where I lean. We don't know for certain, but it is certainly a noteworthy psalm. And it has an admirable, an admirable purpose. The psalmist wants all people, believers and unbelievers this morning, to fully embrace every aspect of God's word for life. That's his purpose. Now, I'm not going to try to convince you believers that the Bible is true. You already believe that the Bible is, but... But I do think this psalm will encourage you to fully embrace God's word for all of life when you see it as the true treasure of God's blessing for living. Even if you have not committed your life to Jesus, and there may be a few in that state this morning, you've not rejected God's word or you wouldn't be here. You want to know more about the Bible? We all do. 
What is it? What does it do? How can we have it? Most importantly, how can I know Jesus through it? You can know him today through this word. That's what the word tells us. So if you'd like to follow along, this is an introductory sermon to Psalm 119. If you'd like to follow along on the sermon outline that's on the back of your bulletin, you'll see this theme. We are to so admire the written word of God that we have set our affections on it, labor hard to obey it, and pray fervently for it to transform our lives to reflect the living word of God, Jesus Christ. That's the theme. That's what this heads towards. And what I want to do this morning is introduce you to this very long psalm. Uh, I'm not going to survey the entire psalm, so you're not going to get smatterings from stanza 1 all the way to stanza 22, although that's a good way to introduce a psalm. Uh, I'm not going to just exposit the first stanza, which is another good way of, of introducing the psalm. We're going we're to be close to that, but I'm going to introduce you to some of the more important concepts that the psalmist uses throughout the entire psalm, uh, so that when you sit down to read it on your own, you'll be better prepared to understand it. That's my goal this morning. And to do that, we're going to hang out around the first four stanzas of Psalm 119. So let's read them, the first 32 verses of Psalm 119. This is the Word of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take me away, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant is meditating on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments, 
when you enlarge my heart. This is the word of God. The word of God is a gift to us. I want to talk to us this morning in this way. Here's how I want to kind of organize this. The word of God's a gift, so it's being given. It's a gift that needs to be received, and then it's a gift that needs to be understood. In other words, when you receive a gift, you'd like to know what it does. Why, why did you give me this? What will it do for me? What is its value? So that's the, the three steps I kind of want to walk through. You'll see that on your sermon outline. What is this gift? Well, it's a multifaceted gift. One gift, but you can look at it many ways. This is always a, could be a little tricky for you if you're not in the ESV this morning because interpreters have kind of used some of these words to flip-flop around a little bit, but I'm going to stick with the ESV to, to keep from being any, any confusion. Uh, but there are, there are otherwise endless combinations and permutations of where you might put statute instead of ruling or, or precept instead of principle. So I'm going, to go with, I'm going to go with the ESV on this. And this is an important introduction to your understanding of the entire psalm because these dimensions, there are about eight of them, of God's word are used throughout the entire psalm. That's why we want to get them right straight up front. In verse 1, you see the word law. It's the Hebrew word Torah. You've heard that before. It occurs first and, and most in the psalm. It's 25 times in the psalm. And it reveals the Lord's instructions for his people. It's a general term. It's God's law rather than specific terms, one of God's laws, if that's helpful. Like, whose delight is the law of the Lord in Psalm 1? The law. Or, as the Lord tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 1.8, keep this book of the law, keep this book of Torah always on your lips. Meditate on it. Meditate on it, not them, but it. Day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. The law is God's instruction to his people, and it reflects the authority of God. This is God's law. It is his authority. Blessed are those who walk in the law, the instructions of the Lord. You'll be blessed as you follow God's instructions, what the psalmist says. In verse 2, we see God's testimonies. The scriptures testify to what God says about himself. It's courtroom language, to be a witness, to give a testimony. And this word, described the, this word described the stone tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain that provided the testimony of God to his people in Exodus chapter 13. In verse 18 we read, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. God's testimony reveals who he is. It reveals his character. You will be blessed to take to heart what God has said about himself in his word. Blessed are those who keep God's testimonies. In verse 3, we see God's ways. This is kind of a, kind of a broad term, kind of a whole term. The word the Lord uses to reveal the way to live. This is God's way. In Jesus' day, a disciple didn't just listen to his teacher, right? But he followed him. He walked after him. He walked with him. He learned his ways. He practiced them himself. The Word of God contains the way of God. You will avoid tragic missteps in life if you will walk in God's way. In verse 4, we see God's precepts uh, could be principles. This word occurs only in the Psalms, this word, but but it's throughout the Bible. The precepts provide precision. They refer to what we should do. We observe, we should observe God's precepts. Psalm 19 in verse 8 tells us that the precepts of the Lord are right. 
You see, so no matter the situation, no matter the details of the circumstances, there is a principle to follow that's right. It's a principle that comes from God. We should do right things. We don't have a specific instruction from the Lord for every situation, but He has given us principles to observe in all situations so that we can always do the right thing. In verse 5, we see statutes. So when the king speaks, remember, so think of, I don't know, think of a king in history. When the king speaks, okay, that's law. What he just said became law. So this is when the Lord speaks or decrees something. Uh, Like the ordinance in Exodus 12, verse 24. Obey these instructions, God says, as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give to you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. He's making a decree and it's going to last for a long time. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he had struck down the Egyptians. And then all the people bowed down and worshipped. The Lord did just what the Lord commanded Aaron and Moses. God's statutes reflect the immutability of his words. It means his word does not change. It is immutable. And the eternality of his word. Because it never changes, it always is and it is forever. God's word is unchanging and eternal. In verse 6, we see the Lord's commandments. This is what God, the chief lawgiver, has commanded. This is maybe uh, one that we think about often. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses relays the commands of God to his people. In verse 4, you're familiar with this. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts and you're to impress them to your children. God's God's commandments in this sense reflect God's sovereignty. He's sovereign over all. He has rightful authority over all. He created the world and everything in it and all those who dwell within are his. In verse 7 we see uh, God's righteous rules. Another word that you might see translated law from time to time, mispot, which is often translated law, is the way Torah, the way the word Torah, which we we looked at as a law, points to God's instruction. God's rules point to the individual instruction, like the Ten Commandments, his individual judgments, the Ten Commandments we would see in Leviticus 19. Here is God's law or rules in full and complete detail. Here they are. Not here it is, but here they are. And this is the standard of his judgment. And he judges impartially. In verse 9, we see God's word. Which is, these all kind of fall under that. It's sort of an umbrella term, right? But it's a qualitative distinction. It means anything that God has spoken. And all of these things are things that God has spoken. So this qualitative distinction brings something into focus. It is that God himself has spoken. These weren't computer-generated laws and statutes and precepts. It matters that God has spoken to his people. It means that he's turned to them and given him their, his attention and spoken. And because he is a holy God, his word is holy. And he's a loving God who has spoken to his people. In all these different dimensions, all these different facets, and our response is glory, hallelujah. Right? 
God's word is beautiful in its multifacetedness. I got a red spell check thing under that word when I typed that in. Right? Oh, we're, we're so excited about these first eight verses. These first nine verses of Psalm 119 because we're always so happy to receive rules and laws and commands and statutes to follow. Shrug. To us, it may sound burdensome. You may have tried to read Psalm 119 in your devotional time and just said, law, command, statute, rule, precept. Oh my goodness. I'm not getting warm fuzzies here. It feels burdensome. You need to change your thinking. God's word's freeing. It's freeing. We should be rejoicing. But if the gift of this multifaceted gem doesn't say, I love you with the warmth and snuggles that you think you deserve, let's look at it then in a very practical and freeing way. See, what words do you listen to as you go through life in this world? Apart from God's word, what words do you listen to? And how do they come to you as you navigate life in this world? Are there laws and legal statutes that you need to know to live your life in this world? How about, how about property rights? How about laws that are in place so that I don't take what's yours and so that you don't take what's mine and then we're mad at each other? But rather, laws in place so that we would get along. So that we can live in community with one another. You see, laws are actually... Relational language. Are there rulings or judgments from courts that reveal a standard of conduct required of you to participate in this, in this culture and in this community? Things you need to know to stay out of jail. Yeah, there are. Do you need to hear credible testimonies from people and businesses? Testimonies that resent represent who they are and what they do. I mean, if you're going to hire a babysitter, you kind of want to know that kid. You might want to know that family. You don't want to give your baby to just anybody, do you? You need some testimony about who that person is. If you're going to hire a roofer, wouldn't you like to know that they're capable of placing a roof on your building? You might want you know, you might want some testimonies. You might want to hear from some other customers. You'd like to know that they're capable and that they're going to come in on time and on budget. We want testimonies all the time. Don't you need instructions in every area of life in order to know how to do things and to avoid disaster and instead to succeed? If you've ever had a job, you've had to receive training, instructions on how to do your job. I, I, hope, I hope people are learning and getting instructions on how to drive cars. All of these dimensions of God's revelation to us are the dimensions we already recognize and operate in. God communicates to us in categories that actually work and do things and are helpful. Categories that we can understand and that we find useful. God's word comes in multiple relational facets. And God has given his people the gift of his word. It's like a multifaceted gem 
and it actually fits in the setting of our everyday lives. Do you see what I did there with the jewelry analogy? So it's a gem, right? And it's got multifaceted. We just went through all that. And it fits in the setting, that's us, of our lives. Pretty clever. God's word is the gem. Your life is the setting. And God's word is cut so that it fits your life and mine. What a gracious God. He's wise and he's good and he's giving. He's relevant and he's in touch with our lives. Men, when you give a birthday gift to your wife, she'd kind of like to know that you put some thought into it, wouldn't she? Mine does. You have to show that you really care. You know, that you didn't pick that wilty flower up at the gas station on the way home, right? Even though you know the date of her birthday, it doesn't change year after year. You always know it. God has given us the gift that we need. God's way for our life. God has taken the time and gone to the pains to make sure it fits just as we need it to fit in our daily lives. In real ways that we understand like instructions and commands and testimonies. In words that we can understand and apply if we only will. God has given us his word, which brings us, brings about this blessing in real ways in our lives. So God's the giving one. Here's this gift, right? He showed up and spoke. And as he's giving this gift, how is it that we receive this gift? Because I think this is a tricky one for some people. When a man and a woman become husband and wife, they don't just have one way of relating to one another. They have many ways. Ways of service. Ways of submission. Ways of friendship and companionship. Ways of comforting and caring. Ways of providing. All of those different ways are even within the marriage relationship. In a similar way, we receive God's word in many nuanced ways. So, many facets of the gem, the gift, but also many facets of how we receive it. And this is another important introduction for your understanding of the entire psalm because these nine words, and there are a few more, illustrate how we receive God's word. And they're repeated throughout the entire psalm. There is something incumbent upon us when God gives us the gift of his word. When God says, here's my word, we're supposed to Reach out somehow and take it. And I think this is how we reach out. The psalmist tells us. In verse 1, look at verse 1. We receive the gift of God's word by walking. He has given us instructions for living, right? And so we're to follow his instructions. Not the instructions of others and not our own made-up instructions, but we're to walk according to his law. That's how we receive law. Another way to receive the gift of God's word is by keeping. In verse 2, we keep his testimonies. He has, uh, we hold fast to who he has represented himself to be in the scripture. In verse 4, we keep, again, we keep his precepts. We apply the principle of scripture in our decisions and in our actions. In verses 5 and 8, again, we keep his statutes. We obey his decrees so that what he has decreed comes about in this world and in our lives. And what comes about is 
Verses 1 and 2, blessing. Blessing. When my wife speaks to me, it's appropriate for me to pay attention, which usually involves eye contact. Like, like stop looking at the TV. Okay? It's just a golf match. Stop looking at the TV. We're to fix our eyes on God's commandments, the psalmist says in verse 6. Fix your eyes. You might remember the man in James chapter 2 who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away. And so James says in chapter 2, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And in verse 15, we fix our eyes on his ways. It's kind of a it's kind of a, an interesting picture, isn't it? Fixing your eyes, staring, not taking them off. We, we fix our eyes on his ways so that we would pay attention to them, so that we would reflect them in our lives. This relationship, you can see it's forming, right? This is all relational stuff. This relationship with God's not automatic. Like any marriage relationship, there's a learning curve. But we receive the gift of God's word, when we invest time and effort to learn his righteous rules. Verse 7, we learn. It's a word. Hear it. Learn it. Understand it. Grow in it. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So there's some process involved. God's word is perfect. We're not. So we have to learn his rules and grow in righteousness. Perhaps this is the place to point out that the psalmist is not living in a fantasy world. You might read through this and say, well, gosh, this guy's perfect. You're, you're misreading. You're misunderstanding. He's not living in a fantasy world. He's not under the delusion that he's perfect in receiving the word of God. He knows he is in a lifelong process of sanctification. He's a disciple and a learner. But he knows that God's word does have perfecting power. And so he's speaking aspirationally. I aspire to this. I do have a relationship now. It's going to be even stronger later. I am following laws now, but I'm going to follow them better and more consistently later. I'm going to progress in these things. We receive his rules of righteousness by learning them and then doing them over and over and over across time, and we grow in righteousness. That's how we receive this word. Of blessing. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, just as important as paying attention is remembering. I, I seem to have more and more time with that part uh, as, the, as the, not just years, but it seems as the months go by. Remembering. Just as important in paying attention is remembering. Memorizing scripture is 100% benefit. I know you probably don't want to do it, but it is 100% benefit. There is no downside to storing up God's Word in your heart. You will never regret storing up God's Word in your heart. Storing up your, His Word in your heart, remembering the words that God has spoken, remembering to do them, results in not sinning. Isn't that amazing? It's all benefit. In verse 13, we receive God's rules by declaring them to others. You've probably heard that if you really want to get to know and understand a topic better, deeper, 
teach it to somebody else? Because the preparation for learning and going over it and uh, explaining it to others and having questions asked back, you said this, I didn't really get that, you improve over time in your own understanding of those things. In the act of telling others, we strengthen our own grasp of God's word in addition to being good gospel proclaimers. It's win-win. In all of these ways that we can receive the gift of God's word, this is what the psalmist is trying to convince us to do. It's in verse 16. Look at verse 16. To delight. To delight in God's word. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What the psalmist wants to do is this. We are to find such extreme pleasure and satisfaction and joy and gratification in God's word revealed to us. That means delight. Yes, even in his laws and statutes and rules and precepts and testimonies. Because they are from him and for us. A perfect and glorious multifaceted gem that fits, that is designed and given to fit in the imperfect, multi-flawed settings of our lives. That's what he's doing. And so we need to receive this gift in those many ways, but with wholehearted and lifelong commitment. If it really were an actual physical ring that God we're giving to us, we'd reach out and we'd take it with our hands and put it on a finger. But it's the word of God for life. So we grab hold of it with our hearts. Through our hearing, through our reading, in our hearts. This word of God, it represents his character and his motive and his will for our lives. He's perfectly good and righteous. That's his character. His motive is his desire for us to take the ring and have it. To have this relationship. And his will for us is to flourish and to delight in him. There's no downside to believing the word of God, having a relationship with your creator through his son Jesus Christ, and succeeding and flourishing and living in love with one another. There's just no downside. He is perfectly good. When we read in Psalm 119 about laws and commands and statutes, it's not contractual law. It's not street ordinances. It's not legal statutes that God is giving. No, God, God's word is the offer of a relationship with him. These are relational guidelines so that we can know the God who gave us life, so that we can legitimately declare that he is our God and we are his people. We not only know who he is because we have his true testimony about himself, but we know him. We know him who is spirit and moves into our lives with his spirit. If you're here this morning as an unbeliever and this gift from God sounds good to you, how are you to receive the gift of God's word? Well, this psalm invites you to trust God's word. Trust, because it's true. To hope in God's promises, because he will keep them. 
to rely upon his commands because he will not mislead you. To commit to his way and you will not be put to shame. You will not regret it. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Save from your sin and God's just judgment upon your sin for breaking his rules. You see, all of us are free to delight in God's word. When you have this relationship with God, you're free to delight in his word. You don't sit in judgment on them or critique them or you just do them. And it's good. It's a free gift and you should want to have it. And you should want to delight in him as he delights in you. See, the psalmist would have us all admire God's word so strongly that we will work and pray hard for it to shape our character and our conduct. See, there is something very valuable in this gift that's being given and that needs to be received. What does this gift do? What is its value? A couple of different ways of looking at that. The psalm is a catalog of God's blessings. As it talks about the Word of God, it, it starts to pour out and list those blessings. This psalm is talking about what the Word of God does. Let's survey, let's do this, let's survey the first four stanzas. So you know there are 22 of them, and we read the first four of them. Let's just do a, a brief, distilled, what's the benefit here of the first four stanzas? Let's look at the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So here's a, here's a benefit and a value to receiving this gift. My ways will be God's ways. I will walk in his instruction. This word is the way to have the life blessed by God. You know, God says in his word elsewhere in Deuteronomy chapter 10, when Moses tells the people, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and his statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you to do today for your good. For your good. Obey the word of God and find the blessing of God. It's very simple. It's very simple. The only thing that gets in our way is our sin. Well, I think there might be a simpler way. I think there might be a better good. Now, obey the word of God and find the blessing of God. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, all of the stuff you need will be added to you. You're worried about all these earthly things. What you need will be added to you when you seek first the righteousness of God. Seek God's righteous ways and you'll be blessed. Jesus is saying the same thing that Psalm 119 says. The word shows us all the Lord has purposed to do in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of our sins, our adoption into his family, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, 
and that he is using all things for our good. Let's just use that one. He's using all things for our good. These are the blessings of God, all written in his word for those who believe in Jesus Christ. When you read your Bible, don't you discover new truths about God each time you read it? Haven't you read a passage, read it again a couple years later, and found something brand new, fresh, that produces joy in your heart? And the Word of God is fresh and reviving because it's living and active. It's unlike any other book that you've written. I know it looks like ink on paper, but it's something more. It's active. It's living. And believing in the Word, believing in Jesus Christ, yields the joy of Christ in our hearts. If you want joy, you want God's Word. That's a valuable benefit. Let's look at verses 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, we'll be pure. You say that again. I'm looking at all of you, and I'm sorry. Ain't nobody pure. And you're looking at me. And all you need is me as the example of ain't nobody pure. Right? But we will be pure. Because my heart will be pure. The word of God produces holiness. It directs us to the holiness of God. Those who walk in God's ways do not sin because they have stored up the righteousness of God. They have found his word in their hearts. Again, the psalmist is speaking aspirationally. He's not saying, I am already perfected and holy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that this is what the word does. This is the result the word has. It perfects, it makes holy. He doesn't think he's perfect and holy, but he is legitimately pursuing perfect holiness. So he is learning and growing and increasingly practicing the holiness of God as he finds it in the word of God. Father, your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth. Every moment, every day, as we go along. Brothers and sisters, you know this. You know that treasuring God's word in your hearts has a restraining effect on the sin in your heart. You know that. Someone comes to me with a problem. They're dealing with sin. Question number one, when's the last time you read your Bible? Oh, well, kind of, I mean, I read my Bible, but, well, sort of lately, not so much. Yeah, I know. Because the Word of God has a restraining effect on sin and temptation in our life. Scripture never leads us into sin, but always leads us into righteousness. So it guards our hearts, protects us from sin and temptation, and points us to holy and righteous living. The purity of God's Word produces purity in our hearts. Like produces like. Purity in our hearts, purity in our living, purity in our relationships. Now, there's a valuable benefit to be desired, and it's found in the Word of God. 
Let's look at Gimel, the third letter. Does your, does your Bible have those little headings? Yeah, okay. Verses 17 to 24. You, you'll notice that there's much prayer language in this, right? Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. I listen to them. The one who keeps God's word is the one in whom, with whom God deals bountifully. Think about that. You, you want to be the employee that the boss never gives a raise to, or you want to be the employee that the boss always gives a raise to? Okay, tiny little comparison. Receive the bounty of God. I delight in living the way the Lord would have me to live, and he deals bountifully with me. There are wondrous things to discover and experience when we sojourn with our eyes fixed on God's map. And in order to do that, we need to be humbled. I don't know if you noticed that about the psalm. We need to be humbled. The psalmist, far from promoting himself and saying, I've done these things, is humbling himself and asking for these things. The psalmist is not haughty here in his request. You can, you can hear the sincere plea from deep within his heart, can't you? He's the one making the request that only God can answer. God, I can't do this, neither can anyone else. I need you. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm asking. Absent God's grace, we would be the insolent and accursed ones who have wandered from God's commands. We can't keep God's commands on our own. We're dependent upon him to enable us to keep his commands that he holds us responsible for. Isn't that, isn't that a fun little isn't that a fun little equation there? Scripture is clear that we are accountable to be obedient to God. We're, we're accountable to be obedient to God and to his rules and to his laws. And we can't keep those laws. We need him to work within us so that we can. That's the reality of the Christian life. We may be well-intended, but we will fall far short if we do not ask God for help. If we're not depending upon his grace, only Jesus lived the perfect life and we need him to live in us. So here's what God's word does. The holy standard of God's word reveals our inability to keep it and reveals our need to humble ourselves before him. It's good to know where you stand. It's good to know who to look to. Augustine prayed, Lord, give me what you command and command what you will. But you've got to give it to me. I can't do it on my own. Augustine's confidence, you see, was in God, not in himself. The apostle Paul has confidence, wouldn't you say? But Paul's confidence is this way in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul says. You see, the Word of God rightly humbles us before God, which is a good thing because the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but He exalts the humble. 
That's what this psalm is telling us. It's a principle this psalm is based on. The word of God rightly humbles us before God. He's the giver to be prized above the gifts. The word of God produces this humility which is of great value for our eternal lives. One last section beginning in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false far away from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. What a beautiful picture. Instead of crawling under the burdensome laws and statutes and ordinances of God, we run fast and free in the way of God. With hearts filled to overflowing with the glory of the faithfulness of God. But when does this happen in this psalm? When does the psalmist receive life and strength? After the psalmist confesses his sinful ways to God and repents of his pride and then his neglect of God's ways, then his soul no longer clings to the dust. Then he receives life and understanding and strength of heart and all of that from God's word. The psalmist is clear that to be blessed by God's word, you must repent and turn to Christ. Romans 10 says that, think about this link, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon him, bow down before him. That's the good news of the Bible. But Paul goes on to say, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? You have to hear the word of God. You have to hear the gospel. And so Paul links salvation from our sin to God's word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' sin-atoning sacrifice and life-giving resurrection. You have to believe that you are justly condemned for your sins by the standard of God's law. And you have to receive Jesus who sacrificed himself in the place of sinners to satisfy God's wrath upon your sin. That is the good news. That salvation that we do not deserve is available to us through God's gracious gospel, his word. And so Paul can go on to write So, faith that saves us comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Life. Eternal life is the blessing of God's word. Eternal life is not merely life in endless duration. It's life in the blessing and presence of Christ. It's the bountiful life and the blessed life rather than the eternally cursed life. A second way to look at this gift and why it's valuable is because it's all about blessing. Verses 1 and 2 set that apart. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that this is about the blessing of God upon his people. And then the following 174 verses are filled with prayers and conversation about God and this blessing. 
having received the gift of the Lord that makes his heart seek after righteousness and makes his ways righteous, the psalmist prays. He asks and seeks and knocks for the blessing to bear fruit in his life. His life as a servant of the Lord. Do you notice that he prays the same way that we pray? Here, here we go, another list, one more list of things here front-loaded that you're going to see throughout this passage, throughout this, this psalm. In verse 10, he says, let me not wonder. Have you not ever prayed that? Lord, I'm wandering. Let me not wander. Lord, I need your help. Teach me your statutes. Lord, I, I, I want to do the right thing. I need you to teach me this. And we're promised in Scripture that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Have you not prayed, Lord, deal bountifully with your servant? Have you not prayed, open my eyes? The psalmist prays, open my eyes. My eyes are closed to the truths of the word of God unless you open them for me, that I might see them, that I might behold your goodness, that I might behold your glory, that it would fill my heart and make me praise you and thank you. Or verse 25, give me life. (laughs) My soul clings to the dust. There's a pretty picture. Give me life. Oh Lord, give me life. Enlarge my heart, sanctify me. Verse 32, as I run in the way of your righteousness. You see, don't miss this. Christ is the way. Christ is the way in God's word. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives this parable. He tells people, he tells his disciples, he tells those who aren't his disciples, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Just look around. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. They find it by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is the way of life, the only way of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells believers and unbelievers alike, he says, I'm the light of the world. Are you living in darkness? I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's wonderful to be in the light as he is in the light. And so all of this receiving and this wonderful gift, it's an ongoing gift. It's this relationship in which we can cry out and ask and receive. Lastly, it all culminates in the living word. The gift of the written word points us to and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the living word of God. This precious gift of the written word points us to the one who came. God who humbled himself and walked the way of God on this earth, the way we're supposed to, but we don't. And then at the end of it, Instead of crossing a finish line and saying hallelujah, he went to the cross to pay for our sins because we don't walk in the way. The punishment was death. The punishment due us for our sins is death. But he suffered that punishment in our place so that when his righteous blood, his perfect blood, his all following the way of God blood was shed for all who believe it washes us clean of our sins. When you read this psalm and you see purity, you think Christ's blood. And he rose from the dead and intercedes for us now. He's the giver of life. 
That's the bounty and the blessing of God. It's life and it's love. That's a sacrifice of love for his people. Turn over to John chapter 1. We'll finish this way. We're going to clearly identify Jesus with the word of God. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not was, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But He has made Him known. Jesus is the Word. Ultimately, Psalm 119 is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus will tell His disciples later in chapter 4 and verse 6 of John, because He's the Word, He says, I am the way. It's me. I am the way. Because he's the word, he says, it's me. I am the truth. I am the way and the truth that leads to life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through the word. So the word of God is indeed a gift. And that gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would admire him so much that you would set your affections upon him and labor hard to obey him and pray fervently for him to transform your life to reflect his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that we did not have to go seeking, but that you spoke and revealed yourself to us, that we might hear you and listen and pay attention and learn and understand and grow and walk in your ways. Father, we pray that you would continue to sanctify your people, to sanctify your church through your word, that we might bear testimony to the goodness of God, the salvation that we have found in Christ, and the glory to come. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.